Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your host is Becky Olson. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends, and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Becky Olson. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Becky Olson. I'm the co-founder of Breast Friends. I'm also a five-time survivor of advanced stage breast cancer, a motivational speaker, and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And before I introduce my guest today, I want to share a little message. And I, I know I talk about this a lot on my show, but it's because it's such an important message. And it's the, the message of hope. In fact, every episode, we close it by saying that there is always hope and we're here to help you find it. And it's because I really, truly believe that there is always hope. So I wanted to share a little bit about that because some of you have been following me on Breast Friends Around the Globe. And if you haven't joined that yet, it's a Facebook group page. So please make sure you go to Facebook, uh, ask to join Breast Friends Around the Globe, and we'll admit you in right away. Um, But it's a lot of people have been following my journey that way. But for those of you who don't know, I've been battling breast cancer since 1996, and I'm in my fifth battle right now. And each time until this one, it's always stayed in my breast. It kind of moved back and forth, side to side, whatever. But anyway, in October, almost two years ago now, Um, It actually crossed the line and went into my lung. And so I've been battling it in my lung. And then in March of this year, it crossed two more lines and went into my liver and into my bones. And my scans have been pretty ugly, you know, a lot of little hot spots all over the place. And um, I told my doctor, I never want to hear the words that you only have, you know, X, Y, Z amount of time left. So he promised he wouldn't. And he told me that they often get that wrong anyway. Which is probably true. I mean, we know, we all know people that were given, you know, a short amount of time, five months, six months to live, and here they are eight years later, they're still with us and thriving. So we, we know that that does happen sometimes. But once cancer becomes metastatic, it is hard, it's hard to make it go away. And, you know, I've kind of resigned myself at times when I felt kind of down for some reason that I might not be here through Thanksgiving or Christmas. In fact, this year, my daughter in Georgia got married in July. She thought about moving her wedding up to May just to accommodate me and make sure I was there. But we we didn't do that with COVID. It was just too crazy to even think about it. But But now, some things have been happening lately that really gave me a lot of hope. I know people all over the world are praying for me, and I'm that is not lost on me, trust me. Um, but a couple things happened. I shared a week or so ago that my tumor markers, we test three of them once a month, and they had just been going up, up, up. And then all of a sudden, with my new treatment, they just dropped dramatically, which was a very, very good sign. All three of them dropped dramatically, getting us much closer to the normal range. Also, I had a, a lump that I could actually feel on my rib cage, and it was getting bigger, and it was painful. And all of a sudden, it started getting smaller, and I now I can't feel it at all. So I thought, well, maybe if God's healing all that that I can feel and see in these results, maybe he's healing the inside too. And yesterday I went in for a scan and my doctor wrote me last night and said, scan looks good. And he sent me the report. And basically it looks like all the tumors are reducing in size. One of them, I'm not great with fast math, but my husband calculated quickly that one of them had reduced by 66%, which is huge. Mm-hmm. And there are no new tumors on the, on the skin. 66%. Yeah, I calculated 66%. It. Reduction in size of a tumor. Yeah, and, and nothing new. And 
every little piece of that report reflected some reduction in size, but uh, that one stood out in my mind because it was easy to do the math. <laughs> but but it, but it was a dramatic, it is a very dramatic healing. So I, I just wanted to share that with you because there is hope and you never know which Treatment is going to be the next one that works, which you don't know. You're going to get that call. And in every call I've had up until this one has has said, well, it doesn't look great. And this time it was like, wow, this looks great. So there, there's that. And I know, I know God has his hand on this. And and somebody reminded me of Philippians 1.6, where basically God will finish the work that he started. So right now the cancer is not gone but it's going Mm -hmm. and we're going to just trust in him to complete that job and make it just go completely away. So I I wanted to share that because hope is always here. Don't, don't give up. I also want to do a shout out to a new friend I made on Facebook. Um, This is Gaynor from Italy and I hope I'm saying her name right. Gaynor found us um, while riding on a train. She lives in just near Naples, Italy, and she was on a high speed train up to Milan to go to a, cancer center she had just been diagnosed with breast cancer she told me i could share this by the way and she was searching for breast cancer podcasts and ours came up so she started listening and now she listens she's gone in and listened to every episode which is pretty cool i think because that's a lot there's there's like 238 episodes there so pretty cool for the, the idea that she's listening to all of them and we've become friends we're talking back and forth on facebook messenger and I'm just delighted to have her in my life. My husband and I love Italy, and maybe we'll have a chance to go and see her when we're, all this COVID We're definitely <laughs> going to go up there. I, I was disappointed when I heard she lived near Naples because I want to go up to northern Italy and spend some time up there, and we will, and maybe she can come with us. But again, she was connected to you through Breast Friends Around the Globe, mm-hmm. and I noticed there's 480 members. They have an account there. And we'd really like to get to that 500 mark. And so it's pretty simple. Sometimes I've done this myself. You go through your Facebook friends list and you mm-hmm. invite them. You can mm-hmm. do that through Breast Friends Around yeah. the Globe. You have to join first, though. You join. Well, you and- invite them. <laughs> then they write and mm-hmm. then you accept yeah. them. Yep. But it's a pretty simple process. But the nice thing is if someone says, hello, I'm uh, I'm Gaynor from Italy, um, then, then say hello. And then maybe you'll make a friend that's somewhere else in the world now. Because yeah. uh, we know that we have over 113 countries, but we'd like to get that a number to increase to, just for the fun of it. It's for the fun of it. So that lovely voice you've been hearing, this very wonderful radio voice, is my husband, Bill Olson, who is also my guest today. And I've never really done a great job of introducing him because he's got He's got so much on the on the ball that <laughs> when I, I met him on the back of a boat, and if you read my book, and if you've been listening, you already know this. Um, but he he's also a musician and a songwriter. He performs in retirement homes and other senior communities as Cowboy Bill. They love him. I'm best remembered at the memory care units. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I'm sure that's true. Anyway, but they he always seems to bring joy and laughter into the hearts of of our senior population. They love him. I love him. He's a great great entertainer, and he's been a great partner. We've been married 40 years. And he's been there to support me through all of my battles with cancer. And we've come out stronger on the other side of all of this. So Think how that, many I dishes go. we've done for our five oh my children gosh. and ourselves. I know. Oh, that's a lot of dishes. Yeah, that's a lot of dishes. <laughs> we haven't even broken that many. Not that many. No, I don't, except the ones we've thrown deliberately. Just, no. <laughs> I'm we kidding. Don't do we don't throw dishes. So anyway, well, we're going to pick up The Hat That Saved My Life. This is part three now. It's not part three in the book. It's just you know, version three here. And we are going to pick it up with chapter four, which is called The Decision, 
starting on page 33. And for those of you who listened last time on part two, um, we talked about, we were just talking about options for for reconstruction. And I, I really figured I landed on the right one and I was excited to go tell my doctor. And, and oh, by the way, before I forget, it occurred to me, I never told anybody how to buy my book. So if you are interested in getting your own copy of The Hat That Saved My Life, it's a hardback edition. I will sign it and send it to you. It's um, You go through beckyolson.com and there's a page on there to, to buy my book. You can actually read the first chapter for free, which we've read on here too. But you can do it that way or you can order it through Kindle um, or you can get an Audible copy of it. through. And then you get a Audible's. copy of my song that I... If you, you do the audible one, yes, there is. Bill wrote a song called Darling Becky, and it's really, I mean, I know it's a little self serving to put it there for me because it makes me sound awesome, but it's a beautiful song. Um, we wrote it, it the first time I heard it, I just cried because, of course, it was I, that bad. <laughs> <laughs> was it that bad? It was that, you that cried? Oh, it was so terrible. Oh, no, no, I cry at Hallmark commercials, it. though. So, no, it's a beautiful song, very, very well thought out, and, and just very very uplifting. So I just would love it if you guys get that and listen to it. And if you are a member of Audible's, if you do the monthly membership, you can use your free book credits to get one. So anyway, what and whatever happens, 25% of your purchase price does go to Breast Friends as a donation to help support this radio show. So with that, um, we are going to pick up and, and start reading again. So here we are. I think you just said at the end of the last one, dot, dot, dot. Uh, that's my line. It's your line. <laughs> uh, let's start there. Okay. Dot, so wait, dot. let me let me pick up the last line like like okay. they do in right. movies, you know, right. like last time. So here's where we ended it last time. The sun was shining and I was ready. Dot dot dot. <laughs> On the day of my follow-up appointment, I was ready and excited. I decided I would see my doctor and ask him about each of my two acceptable options and get his opinion. Now, for those of you who don't remember what the acceptable options were, one was to have implants and the other was to have a tram flap, which utilizes your tummy tissue and you make a breast out of it. So anyway, those were the two options I had in my mind that that's what we were going to do. As I prepared for my appointment, I remember feeling a slight sense of relief There were options after all, ones I could live with, and I was ready to choose one of them. The trip to the clinic was a lot more fun than the last time. I sang to the oldies. Bill and I kind of do that. We hear songs on the radio that are from back when we were youngsters, and we could sing every word of every song, right? The Beatles songs. Especially the Beatles, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So we were singing to the oldies and, you know, bouncing around. And this was on the radio during the drive. This time there was a little more sunshine. Sunshine in Oregon is not guaranteed in the spring, but there was sunshine in my heart. I had already received the bad news. The rest was downhill, and I felt it was time to get on with it. This time when I got to the parking garage, I quickly opened the door and couldn't wait to get to the doctor's office. In fact, I arrived early. Excitedly, I told him about the two options uncovered during my research. I was sure I was the first one to discover them. I couldn't wait to get his opinion on which of my two options I should consider. I would go along with his recommendations, I decided. He smiled and then recommended something completely different, lumpectomy. Now, I'm, I think this is funny because, you know, they say how to make God laugh. Tell him your plans for the day. <laughs> so anyway, he had a different idea for me altogether, one I hadn't considered. So he said lumpectomy. I had no idea what he was talking about, but I was determined not to let it ruin my mood. 
He went on to explain that recent research showed that lumpectomy, most of which had been done during the biopsy, followed by chemotherapy and radiation, was as effective in treating some cancers as mastectomy. I believed it was a better option for me than the ones I had hoped for. He explained that I'd already had a partial lumpectomy during the earlier biopsy when the tumor had been removed, along with extra surrounding tissue. However, according to the pathology report, there was evidence of cancer clear up to the edge of that tissue, which means there was still the probability of some cancer cells left behind in my breast. If we decided to go that route, all we needed to remove was a little more surrounding tissue to complete the lumpectomy, then move on to chemotherapy and follow up with radiation, or what I call LCR. For my particular situation, he felt that this procedure would be less invasive than a mastectomy and with the chemotherapy and radiation just as effective. My vision of a flat tummy and perky breasts was fading fast. The clouds were rolling back in. This was a new option that I hadn't yet considered, and I needed time to think about it. Though it was less invasive, it meant that I would have two very lopsided breasts. And this is not right here in the book, but, you know, I was pretty well endowed at the time. And the thought of having one large breast and one little perky one (laughs) was troubling to me. Also, he informed me that once radiation is performed on my affected breast, reconstruction may become more difficult because of the changes to the tissue caused by the radiation. Ugh, I felt like I was back where I started, confused, uncertain, and now I had even more options to consider. Armed with my doctor's recommendation, I boldly contacted my former physician in my old hometown of Medford, Oregon, to get his opinion about LCR. It's not that I didn't trust my new doctor, but I wanted a second opinion, and this was a big decision, life-altering, in fact, and I wanted to make sure that both doctors agreed. I called his office in Medford. He was with a patient, so I asked for their fax number and faxed him the report. It wasn't long before he called back. Remember when people used faxes? Hmm. I remember when they used to call back. (laughs) (laughs) How they text you. Everything is digital now, but yeah, it, it was a point. There was a. I remember when we was, used to ask, "Do you have a fax number?" And then it became an assumptive thing. So, what's your fax number? And now, who has a fax? You know. <laughs> anyway, um, well, we still do, but um, anyway, uh, it wasn't long before he called back. So I faxed him the report. It wasn't long before he called back. Hi, I, Becky. <laughs> I just saw your report. He said, "It looks like you've been through the mill." Thank you, Dr. <laughs> Doctor Bill. He sounded devastated. Want to try that again, sounding devastated? Hi, Becky. <laughs> I just saw your report. It looks like you've been through the mill. That's really good. Is that better? That's good, yeah. Let's take three. Yeah. yeah, no, that was good. He sounded devastated. He had been our family physician for several years. We only changed doctors because we moved to Portland, Oregon. He was my age, and this seemed to really hit him hard. I could hear his voice quiver as though he was on the verge of tears. We spoke for several minutes. I'm scared, but I'm all right, I said to reassure him. After we got through our highly emotional conversation, he agreed that lumpectomy was a good option for me. I was disappointed. My vision of a new and improved version of me completely vanished. It's funny how when we're faced with difficult choices, we can make our decisions based on one thing. In reality, I could have gone with any decision I wanted. I could have chosen the more traumatic surgery and ended up with new perky breasts. However, I quickly went into survival mode and chose survival over aesthetics. I scheduled another surgery for the following week. This visit would have its own unique problems. 
I was there to have the rest of the tissue surrounding the lump removed. My doctor had warned me that finding the edges of the lump would be difficult. When he informed me that I had to go to the hospital early and have a wire inserted into the area where the tumor had been, I grew a little anxious. My face turned white as I envisioned thousands of hypodermic needles sticking out of my arm. I was snapped back to reality when he assured me it would only be one wire and that it was a necessary procedure. They had to know where to cut once they got inside. Since the lump is gone, the task will be more difficult this time, he said. Later that week, I was admitted to the hospital one more time. I had become a familiar face to the hospital staff by then, and though I like it when everyone knows my name, as they say in Cheers, I was tired of this drill. You might have to explain what Cheers is. Oh, yeah. There was a TV show. Um, Major TV show. Yeah, and took place... I don't know if it was really filmed in Boston, but it supposedly it was. It was called Cheers, and everybody knows your name. That was the theme song. Yeah. It was kind of cute. So, you know, YouTube it or whatever. You can find it. <laughs> um, I was tired of this drill. The reason for this visit was that I really have bad veins. They tend to roll or collapse when you attempt to insert a needle into them. Every hospital visit meant more holes in my arm. My arm looked like a hairbrush that had lost all of its bristles. And... I'm going to take a break right here, and we're going to go out to break and come back and pick it up on the other side. And our engineer just said, I like Norm (laughs) from Cheers. (laughs) Thanks, Aaron. I know you're listening. Anyway, um, okay, so we'll, we'll come back in a minute. Stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. Female cancers affect women, but women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices. By enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at electa.com. That's E-L-E-K-T-A dot com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. You know, I really love our theme song. 
I'm looking, every time I hear our theme song as we're coming back from commercial, I find myself dancing around in my chair and I look over and my husband was doing the same thing. <laughs> it's kind of funny. So anyway, all right, welcome back to our program. Uh, just a quick reminder that I like to do each time is that there are four ways to be actively involved in this show. One is to obviously share the link. So when you find an episode that you really love in particular, send the link to it to your friends and say, hey, this is a great episode. You need to listen to it. Second way is to donate via text. We have a a text program where you text the phrase BF radio, stands for Breast Friends Radio, to 41444. And again, Breast Friends Radio, 41444 is BF radio. I'm sorry, BF Radio, text it to the number 41444. That'll open up a new link where you can make a donation to the radio show. Also, join Breast Friends Around the Globe that we've already talked about. Help us get to 500. We're at 480 right now. I'd love to hit 500. That's kind of a magical number. That's on Facebook, so we'll look for your name today. Yeah, so go to Facebook, go to your account, and then just search for Breast Friends Around the Globe and ask to join. And then tell us where you're from. It's interesting. And if you have friends overseas... Be sure to invite them yeah. after you join. We love knowing where people are, are joining from. That's This is how I found my friend Gaynor. Um, so do that. And then also, finally, nominate yourself to be a guest on my show. I always look for inspirational or educational topics. So if you have a great story that you want to share about your journey or if you have a uh, some co- inf- information on nutrition or caregiving or any of those things. Make sure that you let me know, you know, all about that and nominate yourself. All right, so we're going to pick up where we left off. Um, we were just talking about going to the hospital and not having to have holes in my arm because I'll tell you, they never get it on the first try. And my hair, my arm looked like a hairbrush that had lost all of its bristles, just all these little poke holes all over. It's terrible. All right, let's pick this up where we left off. Okay, on this visit, I had a shunt inserted into my chest. The shunt is a semi-permanent tube often placed in patients undergoing intravenous treatment. The shunt allows the technician who is administering chemotherapy or drawing blood to do it through the shunt rather than poke a new hole in your vein each time. And little side note, I have one of those now for my chemo treatments. Was that the Gershon catheter? No. Yeah, Groshon, Groshon catheter is what I had Because I, I knew Bonnie Groshon. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You did. Okay. And that one was really kind of um, a little troublesome because it comes out of your chest and it hangs about a foot and a half. And you have to tuck it inside your bra. They have different ones now that actually live under the skin and they can they can find them. So when they tap into that. So I have one of those now. My veins never improved with time. And so I still do that. And I have chemo today. So I'll be going there today. Um Let's see, what does it say? So the shunt allows the technician who is administering chemo or drawing blood to do it through the shunt rather than poke a a new hole in your arm and your vein each time. There are different types of shunts. Some are flat. Oh, we just talked about this. Some are flat against your skin except for a small round flat thing resembling a Band-Aid and are rather unobtrusive. This is, now they've improved a lot since then. The one they used on me, however, was particularly hideous looking. Sorry, Bonnie. I had no idea what to expect, but when I woke up from the procedure and saw a 12-inch plastic tube, oh, I said a foot and a half. Okay, I guess it was a foot. Dangling from my opposite breast, I was a little stunned. I felt like Medusa from Greek mythology, except that the snaky looking thing was on my body rather than on my head. This thing would hide inside my bra for the next nine months, coming out only for showers and tube cleanings. Yeah, they were kind of cumbersome, so things are better, ladies. They're much better now. This was my third surgery in two weeks. It was a record for me. I was exhausted and ready for the next step. Finally, with no more surgeries on the horizon, I was back home to recover from this 
from the awful tortures I'd been subject to over the past two weeks. This was an extremely difficult time for me. I was finally alone, too alone, with my thoughts and fears. Okay, we finally made it to chapter five. This is my favorite chapter. Why? Well, I don't know. It's just the next one. (laughs) Always like the next chapter. Ah, there you go. Well, this one has kind of a troubling title. It's called Despair. Well, maybe it's not my favorite. Maybe not. We'll find out. One of the hardest parts about going through breast cancer was believing that I was going to die and nobody would care. It's not my favorite chapter. Yeah. And the world would go on without me. It was the loneliest time of my life. And, you know, for those of you listening, this is a very true thing that happens. When you get a diagnosis that is so devastating, like the one that many of us have faced, I think that is the hardest part, is to just imagine, you look outside and you see the world, and you picture yourself not being in it, and you wonder if anyone will notice, you know? It really is, it's a hard thing to, it's a hard thing to deal with. That's why friendship is so important. Days went by, and I spent my time in solitude, stuck to the couch like candle wax that melted on it and then cooled. Over the next days and weeks, those two nasty little words, invasive and aggressive, that I had read on my chart when I received my my diagnosis, came back to haunt me. Remembering a scene from Star Trek where little alien creatures were introduced to a victim and were allowed to crawl around their body looking for openings, ugh. I imagine cancer cells resembling those little bugs crawling around inside of me, invading my bloodstream and working their way toward my vital organs. I lived in fear fear that every new pain was going to be my demise. Even a simple headache screamed brain tumor. Even though the doctor said I had garden variety breast cancer, it was advanced, which in my current state of mind from three surgeries, needles and drains meant I was going to die. I had a garden once and I saw the life choked out of it from overgrown weeds. The cancer was a huge, overgrown weed. Despair hit me like a heavy rock in an avalanche. I wondered if I'd done anything in my life that mattered. I began to think about my legacy. I tried to make a list of the good things I had done in my life and couldn't think of a thing. I worried again that no one would come to my funeral except those I had wronged. I knew they would show up only to make sure I was really dead. All I could remember was that I had been so self-indulgent and self-centered that I spent my life only worried about me. I felt like I deserved to die. Depression wrapped its ugly mouth around me and tried to swallow me whole. I was no longer the person I used to be. I'd been so used to getting up early every day and going to work, dressing up and playing the role of super saleswoman was something I lived for. I loved my customers and they reciprocated. I was competitive and tough. Every morning when I arrived at work, I immediately headed straight to the wall of honor or shame for some and compared my daily results to those of my peers. As long as I was number one, I was happy. I was usually happy. My average workday started at 8 a.m. and ended when I was too tired to go on. There were times that after a full day of work, I rushed off to school, but even on the days without class, I often got home after 10 p.m. Now I felt I was doing well if I got out of bed before noon. Occasionally, I wondered who would take my place at the top of the list. Most of the time, though, I didn't really care. All I could think about was how I would never be normal again. I guess that's a good title for that chapter, huh? I guess so. It wasn't my favorite chapter after all. No, it wasn't mine Chapter five, if you want that deleted from your book, let me know and I'll remove it. We'll just tear the pages out before we send it. it's important. It is because, you know, we all face some degree of that, I think. And depression is a very real thing that happens to a lot of cancer patients. But it is temporary. 
It is temporary. So just know that and hang in there. And the things that we talk about, staying in the light, is so important. And I know it doesn't talk about staying in the light in this book, but it it's really the important. The next book does that. The next book, yeah, the one I'm working on now that I thought I lost when my computer crashed. Thank you, Mary Berger, for finding it for me. <laughs> it's really good. All right, we're on chapter six now, and it's called It's a Family Thing. This is my favorite chapter. It might be. It might be. Um, this could have been an awful time for me had it not been for the fact that I was surrounded by my family and friends. Even my dog Gretchen sensed something was wrong. Usually Gretchen is her daddy's girl and follows my husband, Bill, around like his shadow. She loves Bill. She gets jealous and makes quite a racket if he hugs me. But during my treatment, she followed me everywhere. She was unusually calm and stayed right by my side. I remember one day when I tried to walk up the stairs to my bedroom, I was exhausted and climbed one step at a time, very slowly. Gretchen took the steps at the same pace. I'd always heard that animals have a sixth sense about things. I believed it that day. And for those of you who don't know, I have a lovely picture of Gretchen on my book jacket. She was a German Shepherd Collie mix and just a beautiful dog who shed like crazy. One of her nicknames was Shadow. She had a lot of nicknames. Yeah, Shadow and Shedder. Yeah, Italian Shedder. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. she liked to eat spaghetti and then go shed. <laughs> it's really funny. Anyway, um, okay, so I believed it that day about her sixth sense. Breast cancer affects the whole family. Three of my five children were young and still living at home. Telling them was one of the most difficult things I have ever had to do. Recently, I asked my youngest son, Micah, what he remembers about my ordeal with breast cancer. He was only 11 years old when he heard about my diagnosis. This was the first time. I didn't expect him to remember many details, but he did have one clear memory. He recalled the family gathered together in the living room watching a video. Bill and I sat, sat together on the couch. He remembered looking over at me and seeing tears in my eyes. He couldn't believe I was crying over the movie. He asked me, what's wrong, Mommy? I answered, the sun is in my eyes. He got up and closed the shades. This is my 11-year-old, right? Our 11-year-old son, Mike, who's a very sensitive child. I continued staring at the television, my eyes still moist with tears. I couldn't imagine how the words were going to come out of my mouth. But Bill and I had talked about it the night before and now seemed like a good time. I asked the kids, can we please pause the film? I have something to tell you. Micah was the first one to respond by hitting the pause button on the remote. They all turned from the television and looked at me. Mommy's a little bit sick, I told them. I have to go to the hospital to get some medicine. I don't know exactly what I said next, but I do remember trying to put a positive spin on it. I didn't want them to think I had a chance of dying. Yet somehow, in spite of my words, they knew. The, they knew. the room grew dreadfully quiet. My youngest son, Elijah, then 13, seemed the most upset. He came over to the sofa, sat down as close as me as he could. He leaned against me and put his head on my shoulder. A moment later, he turned and wrapped his arms around my neck. Oh, I'm going to cry, Billy, and held on as if my life depended on not losing his grip. Over the next few weeks, he didn't say much. He didn't have to. Every time I left for my chemotherapy appointment, something you'll hear about later, he would hug me on my way out the door and say, I love you. One time I made it all the way to my car before he realized I was leaving. He yelled out the window, wait, mom. I got in my car, but sat there until he came out. I rolled down my window and he reached in and hugged me. He whispered to me, I love you. I backed out of the driveway and, down, and drove down the street, tears rolling down my cheeks. And right at that spot in my book, there's a picture of me hugging our son, Elijah. 
and he's he lives in Hollywood. He works for Disney, and he's just a wonderful young man. Got married a year ago to Kiki. You Very know, proud of Hollywood them. and Burbank are so different. He lives in Burbank. He does live in Burbank with Kiki. With Kiki, and Disney's right down the street. <laughs> so, um, but he is our Hollywood boy. He went to USC Film School. Very proud of him. Anyway, there's a picture of the two of us hugging before my first chemo treatment. Anyway, my daughter Beth was 15 when faced with this news. She surprised me one day, months later, when she presented me with a poem she wrote for her school poetry class. She had written it shortly after my diagnosis. Included in her poetry project was a photo taken in New York in 1993. It was a photo of me standing next to a young man on a bike holding up the thickest, strongest bike chain I had ever seen. I remember that day because Bill and I were there together and we asked him if we could take a picture of the bike chain. I mean, this you could you could cut the bike in half before you could cut this chain, I think. It's really huge. But he did it to protect his bike. I had no idea it would make it into a book one day because this was three years before my diagnosis. But um, anyway, Beth used that picture as part of her poem. So anyway... Um, Let's see. The day she gave me the poem, I cried as I read the most tender words imaginable. The poem was beautiful, yet sad and incredibly honest. It amazes me that this child, this young woman, had such an understanding and capacity for love at her tender age. I read the poem so many times, and it still brings tears to my eyes and an ache in my heart to think she had to go through all these emotions. Bill, do you want to read this? No, I want you to read it because I remember how it affected you then, and it still does. And the little princess's voice doesn't come well through mine. comes better through you. <laughs> you're worried you're going to cry through your poem. Yeah. Well, I give am. it a try. I'll give it a try. Okay. It's called I Love You, Mom by Beth Olson. I thank God today that you are here. So many have lost their lives to the tiny terrors that take torch to their healthy bodies. Though it may be selfish, while I thank God, I pray to him, please don't take her away from me. And is it selfish that while you have been weak, I have held on? Well, I will be strong. It's your turn to hold on. And one more thing. I love you, Mom. She does, too. Ah, So our little girl, Beth, who wrote this poem when she was, I think, 15, um, is now a mother with two boys. They live in Boston. And our grandsons are adorable. They're they're tall. (laughs) Beth is tall. I'm not sure where she got that. Not from me. More likely from her dad. Um, but she's a beautiful mom with a wonderful, compassionate heart and love her to pieces. So that poem made its way in. She was very embarrassed, but she's gotten over it. <laughs> All right. My oldest son, Joshua, was just turning 20 and was, att- was attending college at the University of Oregon. He's a brilliant child. He graduated summa cum laude from his school. Joshua has always been a positive influence on everyone around him. He was home that summer and never even once hinted that he thought I might not make it. His positive, quiet strength radiated toward me, and I'm sure it had an impact on my healing. My oldest daughter, Tanya, was nearly 23 when I received my diagnosis. Sadly, she was living a very difficult life in Seattle, so she was physically and emotionally removed from us. My husband called her one evening and told her the news. I know that she was heartbroken, partly because she was afraid she would lose me, but mostly because her own difficulty stood in her way of being able to help. My husband reminded me that though Tanya was not emotionally available to support me or the rest of the family, he felt that she truly was devastated by the news. She finally came home a few months later. One night while sitting on the couch together, she leaned into me and placed her head on my shoulder like a young child. 
cuddling with me on the couch. Obviously very worried, Bill remembers how sincere and needy her voice was when she said, Mommy, you are my rock. Tanya, a beautiful, fiercely independent young woman, was at a very vulnerable time in her own personal life. I honestly did not mind her dependency on me. I think that as mothers, we never stop being concerned about our children. And my maternal instincts toward Tanya never stopped. I treasured how desperate Tanya was for my good health and my love and my support for her and my need to get well for her sake. Having her here was difficult because she had so many of her own needs, but it helped me in many ways by giving me something new and outside myself to focus on. And I want to stop for just a moment and talk about that because the whole concept of staying in the light is somehow getting away from the thing that's so troubling and focusing on something that brings you joy. And I didn't have a name for it then, but having Tanya here in my life at that time gave me joy because I had somebody different to focus on than my own troubles at that time. So Tanya, in her own little way, helped me stay in the light by being here. In a big way. Yeah. 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 I remember that. It was pretty pretty powerful. Um, I'm going to finish this this chapter because there's only couple paragraphs left and then we'll go on out to break. One thing that became clear to me was that mothers or parents become seriously ill. The fear or loss is often amplified in those family members who are caught in their own world of hardships or troubles. They are already feeling vulnerable and they fear losing someone who they can count on for support and love. They may not feel like reaching out, but I'm glad my daughter did and I am happy I could respond to her concerns in ways that helped us bond closer together again. Breast cancer also reaches out and touches the lives of more distant relatives and friends. I was amazed at the outpouring of support from cousins and other family members. When a family is touched by this disease, sometimes it takes all they have to stay positive and continually provide care and nurturing of the patient. It is extremely difficult for one person to carry the burden alone. And with that, we will go out to break, so stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. Female cancers affect women, but women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices. By enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at electa.com. That's E-L-E-K-T-A.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America.
are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. We're going to just pick this right up and see how far we can get before the end of the program today. So we're on Chapter 7. It's called, what's it called, Bill? The Treatment. And this is my favorite chapter. <laughs> you haven't really settled on one yet, have you? Or does it's it just keep getting better? One. It's always the next Okay, one. cool. Because it gets better and better as we go, I assume. Well, maybe not. But anyway, okay, The Treatment is what this one is called. All right. Finally, in May of 1996, the moment I dreaded most was upon me. I began chemotherapy. And I just want to remind the listeners, this whole journey started on April 24th, 1996. So here we are a month later, and I'd already been through all these surgeries, and now I'm starting chemo. And it's a pretty fast process some of the time. It doesn't always go, you know, this quickly, but but it can. And I think because mine was so advanced, they just didn't want to waste a lot of time trying to sort things out. But anyway, we got right on it. And now here we are less than a month later, and um, I was starting chemo. I had no idea what to expect. I'd seen movies about cancer treatment. The movie Dying Young with Julia Roberts really stuck in my mind. She was the caregiver of a young cancer patient. The movie portrayed his chemotherapy treatments in a pretty vile way. He would go to the hospital for treatment and then go home and puke his guts out for several days in a row. I was not excited to be starting down that path. I tried to look on the bright side. I thought that maybe with all the puking I would do, I could lose some weight. Sorry if I'm making anybody sick. (laughs) I would lose some weight. So there is a silver lining, I thought. The day before my first treatment was horrible. Every moment I was awake, I thought about what was to come. That night, as the family was gathered to watch television, I was on another planet. I lay on the floor and thought only about tomorrow. I didn't even know what movie we were watching. The same night, I couldn't sleep. I anticipated my treatment and all the sickness that was to come. I have to make sure that I clean the toilet before my appointment, I told myself. Later in bed, again, I imagined tiny cancer cells crawling around in my body. I envisioned the chemotherapy on a search-and-destroy mission to single out each bad cell and choke the life out of it. I cried off and on most of the night. What if the chemo couldn't find the right cells? I finally woke up sometime in the middle of the night or excuse me, in the middle of the next day, and I managed to shower and dress. Bill had gotten up early and cleaned the house for me while I slept. He even remembered the toilets. I'll never forget that, Billy. Thank you for that. My appointment was drawing near, and Bill went out and started the car. This was my cue that it was time to leave for the clinic. All the way there, I again sat in silence, staring out of the window. I was so lost in my thoughts that my usual chatty persona all but disappeared. Bill was worried about me. He had no idea how to help bring me out of my depression. He did know, however, how to reach into my heart. He simply reached over, put his hand on my knee, and patted it gently, a gesture I will treasure forever. That gentle pat gave me new strength. I knew I was not alone, and halfway to the clinic, I had a new vision. I decided to become one with the chemo and join forces with it. If it had any chance at all of finding those roaming cancer cells, it needed my support. We arrived at the clinic, and with my new resolve, I threw open the car door and jumped out. I walked, head held high, quickly into the building with Bill on my heels. You were kind of heavy. I just, you know, (laughs) trying to walk in with you on my heels was really challenging. 
I decided right then that I would just get this over with and get on with life. I was on a mission. We entered the inner office and checked in. When the nurse called my name, my heart pounded in my chest. This was it. Together, the chemo and I would destroy those little buggers. I entered the specially equipped treatment room and I took a good look at the place that I would visit every three weeks for the next nine months of my life. The room resembled a large industrial living room. The walls were boring off-white and the room smelled of rubbing alcohol. The white linoleum floor with blue and gray speckles was clean enough that if you dropped your food on it, you would not even hesitate to pick it up and eat it. My kids called that the 10-second rule. I, that room was a three-second rule. You think? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Blue vinyl recliners. It probably was. Well, yeah. Uh, blue vinyl recliners knelt all around the edge of the room, each holding, each waiting to hold a victim in their lap. Each chair had one of those tall rolling stands designed to hold the IV drip bag placed nearby. I pretended the stands were well-trained, disciplined shoulders, lined shoulders. I said that when I read my when I read my book for my um, the audio audio book. I had to go back and redo it. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to add an H there because you yeah, always add that. I in. do. It's so let me try that sentence again correctly. I pretended the stands were well-trained, disciplined soldiers lined up ready to help me win this battle. Makes a lot more sense than shoulders, doesn't it? Well, soldiers. Soldiers have strong shoulders. shoulders. Yes, they do. <laughs> Thank you. I'll I'll keep that in mind. The people in the chairs, some old, some not, looked sad. Not much laughter in this room. The only chatter in the room was in the corner at the nurses' station. The nurses talked among themselves as they prepared the special mixtures that would pump hope into the lives of the cancer patients. I took my place of honor near the window. With Bill in the chair next to me reading a magazine, I closed my eyes and said a silent prayer. I was ready to begin the battle. Using my shunt, or plug as I called it, the nurse connected me to an IV drip for the next two hours, slowly filling my veins with sugar water and steroids. The mixture silently dripped into me. I closed my eyes again and pictured the little soldiers, the army, entering my bloodstream to save my life. My body got heavier and heavier as fluid continually entered my veins. I was deep asleep when I heard the sound of someone, probably the nurse, handling the instruments on the tray next to my chair. I stirred and opened my eyes. There she was, on a stool positioned right in front of me with a giant syringe full of bright red liquid. My veins were so full already I couldn't imagine room for anything more. She took the huge needle and poked it into the shunt and slowly pushed the fluid into my veins. The fluid contained the army that would be released to carry out the secret mission that I had devised in the quietness and stillness of my heart. My first battle was over. Only 11 more to go. Dot, dot, dot. Good job. (laughs) I almost read past that. On the way home from the first treatment, surprisingly, I felt great. Those steroids had really done their job. I felt like I could tackle the world. I had so much energy, I wanted to go play. And I remember, that was unexpected, wasn't it? Remember we went wig shopping? Well, it's coming up here next. But um, but yeah, I mean, I thought I'd just go home and be sick. But this, they always give you these steroids to give you a little burst of energy to kind of get you through. And also to, I guess, slow any reaction to the that you might have to the to the chemo. Anyway, I felt like I was on cloud nine. I was ready to go party. Let's do it. You know, so my husband and I, remembering the words from the nurse that I would be totally bald by my next treatment, decided to stop at a wig shop on our way home. We bounced around the aisles while I tried on every color and style imaginable. We had fun. Finally, we settled on a bright red Peggy Sue wig. This was particularly fun because I am a brunette. 
Why not, Bill said. You're going to lose your hair anyway. You might as well have some fun with it. Maybe chemotherapy won't be so bad after all, I told him. I was so energetic and pumped up that I felt all my worries disappear. When we got home, I called and invited some friends over to watch a movie when they got off work. The women showed up at my house around 5.30 p.m. After a round of hugging and words of kindness, I gave them a tour of our remodeling project that was still underway. We finally settled in with our microwaved buttered popcorn and glasses of wine. I had water. To watch our agreed-upon chick flick, we put waiting to exhale in the DVD player. Everything was going along just fine, and Whitney was just getting ready to exhale when it hit. The wonderful aroma of buttered popcorn didn't smell so wonderful anymore. Oh, I remember that. I moved pretty quickly off the couch, tripped over various legs, stretched out in front of the sofa, and I made a mad dash to the bathroom. My friends worried about me, decided it was time to leave, and I lived with my head near the toilet for the next 48 hours. It was a good thing Bill had remembered to clean them. Thank you, honey. Did I ever thank you enough for that? Oh, yes. Many times you've thanked me (laughs) over the years. I don't know. That must be a great memory. (laughs) I couldn't quite vomit, though I felt like I would any minute. The food my stepmom brought over to feed my family was appreciated, but it made me gag. It was best if I just stayed in my bedroom near the bathroom away from the smells. Dot, dot, dot. I wonder, could you... I, I think going back through what you've just read, it's very important to remember that you can participate with the medicine that's in your body. And part of that is psychosomatic. In other Mm -hmm. words, you're telling your body, I want you to receive this and I want you to go to work. Because I really do believe that your brain and your nervous system and your entire body are connected in such a way that you can help with your own healing. It's a matter of faith in some ways. But on the other hand, that medicine's in you. It has a purpose. And I think you need to ask your body to join with it and do the yeah. work that it can do to receive the medicine and, and help you heal. Plus, it's just a positive thought. Positive thoughts are very ho- helpful in healing. Period. Yeah, that is so true. And thank you for that because, you know, it is true. And maybe that's why I didn't actually get sick because I really wanted this medicine to work and I needed to keep it in me for that to happen. So I just, thank you, Bill. That's a very good reminder that we do have the ability to become one with our treatment. And that's what I that's what I tried to do. So you just said dot, 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 right? Mm-hmm. Okay, don't miss your next one. It's coming up soon. Um, I continued to feel the effects of the chemo over the next week or so. I was amazed at how something that was supposed to heal me could make me feel like giving up. It completely zapped my energy. Immediately, my interest in socializing dropped to nothing. The idea of shopping, something I love to do, sounded like a chore. Life was going on without me. I just wanted to feel sorry for myself. Sleep was now the highlight of my day. My chemotherapy was so strong that I could only go in for an injection every three weeks. The doctor said it was the, the strength. I'm sorry. The doctor said it was the strength of this type of chemo that would cause me to lose all my hair after the first treatment. By the second injection, I could be, expect to be completely bald. Oh, happy me, middle-aged, overweight, and bald. How lovely. It was a good thing I'd already made the trip to the wig store. Dot, dot, dot. Fast dots. All right. Um, I think I have time. I'm not going to get through this whole chapter because we're coming up on the last few minutes here, but um, I'll keep reading for a little bit, and then we'll close. Time went by, the world went on, and I sat at home waiting for my hair to fall out. One evening, while sitting on the couch, depressed and expressionless, staring at the television set, My 15-year-old daughter, Beth, and her two best friends decided it was time to do something. They all disappeared into the next room, 
and began to whisper. I knew they were up to something, but I had no idea what they were plotting and scheming about. They came back in and told me they were running an errand and they'd be right back. They came home about 20 minutes later. I was still stuck to the couch when I heard the engine shut off in the driveway. They came in and quietly opened and shut the door. I heard them as they tiptoed into the next room. Finally, thinking how clever they were, they came around the corner and plopped themselves down on the couch, one on each side of me and my daughter on my lap. Beth took my hand and said, Mom, since your hair is going to fall out anyway, you might as well see what it would be like to be a blonde. Beth pulled a box of blonde hair coloring out of the bag. My eyes got watery. I laughed and told them that they were crazy, but I was delighted at their wonderful surprise. I had tried the redhead look with my wig. Blonde would be fun. Oh, I still have another minute. We spent the next few minutes giggling and laughing. They draped a towel on my shoulders, made me hang my head over the sink, and began squeezing the mixture onto my hair. 25 minutes later and still laughing, they hung my head over the sink again to wash out the goo. I was wearing my old faded yellow sweatshirt, which completely soaked up the water as it ran down my back, around the back of my neck. I was drenched and cold, but happy. They wouldn't let me look in the mirror until they combed out my hair and blew it dry. (laughs) Finally, the moment came, and they marched me into the bathroom to see the vision of loveliness. What a shock. Okay, I'm going to ask my audience right now. When you're a brunette and 16, 15-year-old girls decide that they're going to turn you into a blonde, what color do you think your hair turns? They know. They know. Anybody who's ever tried this knows. Uh, my hair was no longer the dark brown I had been used to, nor was it blonde that I expected. It was the color of creamy tomato soup, light orange. And on that, we're going to stop reading, and we'll pick this up the next time we do story time part four. So I hope you're enjoying the story. The reason I want to share this with you all is because I think a lot of people can relate to at least moments in this. We've all experienced our our degree of of suffering through cancer, but I just I, I just want wanted to share all this. And again, go to beckyolson.com if you want your own copy of my book, or order it through Audible's or through um, Kindle. And with that, I want to thank my husband for once again being with me, and um, we'll be doing this again down the road. So we will be back next week, and until then, remember, there is always hope, and we are here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 12 o'clock noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope, and we are here to help you find it. We'll talk again next time.